0: Lord, Lord willing, since we'll be with you in the morning at devotion time, I'll say our goodbyes and that till then. Uh, as you know, we're looking at the uh, glean, gleanings from Isaiah, and for the last message, I'd like you to start out anyway in Isaiah chapter 13, in the book of Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13, if you could entitle this afternoon's message, it might be Windows of the Kingdom Age from Isaiah, little snippets throughout this book of the coming Kingdom Age. You'll remember that twofold message that the Spirit of Christ testified in the Old Testament prophets, not only the sufferings of Christ, 1 Peter one eleven, but the glory that should follow. We've looked some at the sufferings of Christ. And that had to come first, for sin must be dealt with. But there is glory. He's coming back the second time, the second advent, with power and great glory, Matthew twenty-four thirty. And this book is full of just snippets or windows, little excerpts of what this kingdom age will be like. But, but the first section I'm starting you out with will be judgment. Yes, there'll be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. There'll be radical changes under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before he can bring that peace, he must deal with the unrepentant sinner, a principle that sin must be dealt with first before there'll ever be peace. And so I have you in some windows of judgment here. You look at Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 1. Verse 1. The burden of Babylon which Isaiah, the son of Amos, did see. The burden of Babylon specifically here. He goes on to say here, verse 9, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light, the sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. There is a cosmic collapse signaling the coming of the day of the Lord, that is the judgment of God. Look, look at verse 11. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible, or tyrants. God's agenda against man's arrogancy and confidence, and he's going to lay it low. The day of the Lord, the burden against Babylon. There are more excerpts in this book of this coming day of the Lord. It's not our purpose to look at all of them. But this concept is not only in Isaiah, it's fulfilled at the coming, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in the New Testament. Go to Revelation chapter 6, please. Revelation chapter 6. You'll see something similar here when the sixth seal is open in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. Six twelve. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. An earthquake and another cosmic collapse. The same thing is describing here. Uh, the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island removed out of their places. And it's described in verse 17. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? The judgment day of God has come. And he judges the unrepentant with a cause sign of the cosmic collapse, the day of the Lord, the great day of his wrath. You progress in Revelation to chapter 16, and you'll see that Babylon is mentioned like it was in Isaiah. Chapter 16 and uh, verse 19, the seventh bowl poured out. But just looking at verse 19. Chapter 16, and the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, this is worldwide, and great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. There's coming a day that God, the first official act of his kingdom, is judgment, and to bring Babylon before him and to pour out his wrath on Babylon, as, including the whole world. You go to chapter 19, chapter 19, the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes back in power and great glory, not the sufferings of Christ here, the glory that should follow. You look at verse 11, verse 11, 1911, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's unveiled, and every eye will see him, Revelation 1 7. His first official act of the kingdom, as he descends from heaven with the armies of King, his armies on a white horse, his first official act, you say, well, it's to make peace. No, that's not the first one. Look at the end of verse 11. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. There is a declaration of war against this unrepentant planet. He's already called the righteous home, okay? But there, there, there's the, uh, the, the declaration of war, and what we have here, before there can ever be peace, a righteous God must deal with sin. Everyone wants the glory that should follow, but they don't want to deal with the sin first. That's why Christ died first. He died for our sins. But not to receive him and to remain in your sins. There is no glory without sin being repented of and, be, and being saved from your sin, And those that aren't, before you can ever have peace on earth and all goodwill toward men, he must declare war. That's his first official act. And as verse 15 goes on to say, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And and so the kingdom will start not with the toleration of sin but with the removal of the sinner you see today's politics however sincere they might be their answer is to tolerate all lifestyles ideologies and beliefs and we just respect one another with the exception of christianity it's just a toleration of sin you can't have peace and true justice when men are rebelling against god and god won't have his way they don't want him as the Lord Jesus said when he was on earth in John three nineteen, you know, this is the condemnation. That light has come to the world, into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They love sin. They love, they don't want to turn from self pleasure and satisfaction, and they'll turn from the light that's available. And so you can never have a righteous society, you know, if you go today and say, you know, we like to have Bible study in schools, they're going to laugh at you. They don't want that. So how can you have it? First, he has to remove the sinner. First, he has to judge the sinner and the official act of war. And in it, that whole Babylon mentality, the arrogancy of the proud, he has to deal with. And in Isaiah and in here, he brings Babylon before us. Just want to think on Babylon a couple minutes before we go to the positive side. What is the spirit behind Babylon? How do they think? It's the exaltation of man. It's not looking to God, it's thinking that man is God to some degree and that man can sustain man, man can save man. We meet Babel way back in Genesis. If you go there for a minute, looking at the spirit behind Babylon, you go to Genesis chapter 11. It's when the people of God after the flood were to migrate into a different section of the world and they'd go into different smaller communities and God would sustain them, but they they decided to uh, pull their resources and come together as a megapolis, a city, to help sustain themselves rather than being in smaller groups dependent upon God. But uh, their philosophy here is in chapter 11 and verse 4, and here's where we get the Tower of Babel. Here's the spirit of Babylon. Babylon. You look at Genesis 11 and verse 4. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth." That was a great sin. And God introduced languages to confuse their work. And it was called Babel and so on. But the philosophy of Babylon here and their rebellion to God is that man can sustain man. Notice that little phrase again in the middle of verse 4. Let us make us a name. And what you have here is that man sees himself as the source. Let us. It's of man. He can do it. And how will he get it? Let us make us. Man will not only be the source of the idea, he'll be the means. He'll be the cause it to happen. And he's also the reason, let us make us a name. Man is the source, man is the reason, or man is the means, and man is the reason. It's for man to show how great we are. And God had to bring it to an end with languages, and someday it is great judgment and the wrath on this earth will bring the whole system to an end, that it's of man, by man, and for man. When, when Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, before God converted him, he had that same spirit. Go to Daniel chapter 4, right after Ezekiel, as you know, and Daniel chapter 4. And before God had to humble Nebuchadnezzar, here was his attitude. It was a true Babylonian spirit here, the king of Babylon here, uh, verse 30. Verse 30 of Daniel chapter 4. Verse 30 of Daniel 4. Daniel 4 and verse 30. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Let us make us a name. Man is the source, man is the means, Man is the reason. Notice verse 30. Is not this great Babylon that I have built? He's the source. He designed it all. Uh, He's the source of the whole I did it. Then look what he goes on to say that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power. He didn't need God. This is his own ingenuity. He was the means. He's not only the source, he's able to make it happen. The might of my power. And why? He was the reason. You see how verse 30 ends? and for the honor of my majesty. It will show that I'm the greatest king, you know. The spirit of Babel, the arrogancy, the haughtiness of man, that he thinks he's the source and the means and the reason for his existence and sustenance and survival. It's rebellion against God. It's not God's way. It's not the Christian way. Want to see the Christian way? Romans chapter 11, please. Romans chapter 11, if you go there for a minute. I don't know what you think of the Spirit of Babel, but one of our famous documents in our country is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Look where it's headed. You can think about that one, but that we're in Romans 11. Romans chapter 11. You look how verse 36 conclu- or the chapter concludes in verse 36. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever and ever. Not only our spiritual salvation, we'd agree with this. All things are of him. He's the source of it all, not man. He's the means. All things are through him. He's the, he causes it to happen, not man. And it's all for him. It's all for his name and his glory. He's the reason. It's of God, by God, and for God. And not only in the way we get saved, in the coming new world, the kingdom, it will not be man and his peace packs and man sustaining man and tolerating all evil and saying we learn how to get along and respect each other. That's man's means. And it gives man the name, how great and wise man is. It will be of the Lord. It will be by the Lord. and It will be for the Lord, the kingdom age. <laughs> uh, of him, through him, and for him. And this Babylon is destroyed, and that's why the Lord Jesus, before you'll ever have the righteous rule of God on earth and people submitting to it, Babylon must be dealt with. And we have that spirit among us today that we have to contend with. So first, there's the, ju- the removal of the sinner before there's the establishment of the righteous, because if you don't remove the sinner, the righteousness won't be established. And so he lays low the arrogancy of the proud in Babylon. I will punish the world for its evil. Having said that, once that declaration of war and the unrepentant are removed and Satan's put in a bottomless pit and Antichrist and the false prophet are put in the lake of fire, once you have the removal of the sinner, then you have the rule of the son and his saints. Chapter 20 will show that Christ and his saints will reign for a thousand years in the kingdom stage, the first kingdom stage. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, teaches Revelation eleven fifteen, 15. And that's going to be a positive thing, but we have to deal with sin first before the glory that should come. That's what the cross is all about, Israel missed that. And if we don't come to the cross, then there's a removal of the sinner. And then the glory that should follow. So what I'd like to show you now is once this judgment on the world, including Babylon, happens and this rebellious spirit that man is the answer, he's the the source, he's the means, he's the reason, that that is uh, judged. and The Lord has his rightful place. In the world now, the remaining people that were saved, they're saved and they see all things are of him, through him and to him. Things change and you'll see peace on earth, and goodwill toward men. And I'd like to show you in Isaiah, uh, there's at least a dozen. There's more than a dozen. We're not even going to get to a dozen, all right? But I'd just like to show you some windows of this coming kingdom after the first official act of judgment. And as we do that, I'd like you to go to Isaiah chapter 2, please. Isaiah 2. Take snippets. Take different windows. The Spirit of God prophesied through Isaiah of the glory that should follow. I think you will see as we look at these windows that the heart of man today and his government and his philosophies long for these things, kind of inherent in his nature. They're, they're good things. And he longs for these things. And he gets in crusades and agendas and politics and, all, and, and governments of God. You know, we need it for law and order at this stage in history. We're not criticizing that. Right? But, but he longs for these things. The only problem is he thinks man is the answer. That man is the source, man is the means, and man is the reason. And he longs for these things, but in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, when the, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and earth as it is in heaven, the Lord Jesus taught to pray in Matthew 16. When the kingdom is here, everything the human heart longs for will be fulfilled in the reign of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wait for that day. We can't accomplish it now. It's not by man. It's of God but what the human heart is longing and trying to get through man's manufacturing it, well, someday the Lord Jesus will bring it here. Let's look at chapter 2, one of the windows of the kingdom here, Isaiah 2 and verse 1. Verse 1. It says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is the capital city of God, Jerusalem. Verse 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days... That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. Just want to stop there. If it didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. Okay. You're going to have religious unity someday. The world longs for unity, and that we all just learn to get along and have religious unity. They simply mean respecting one another's beliefs and just pull all the error and ignorance together and don't fight about it. They kind of mean a unity of purpose, not a unity of truth. Uh, but you're going to have re- all nations are going to go to Jerusalem. Every nation, however, the transportation is in those days. You say, what are they going to Jerusalem for? A little historical archeological dig? No. Look at verse three. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the capital of the word of the Lord, and he, the Lord Jesus, will be there. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives when he comes back, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And he'll set up his palace and his administration in the chosen city of Jerusalem that God has chosen to put His name there, and to meet the Lord personally. All nations in this religious unity are going to take a trip to Jerusalem, and they're going to. We want a Bible study. We want to walk in your ways. And the Constitution will not be what democracy votes in. It'll be the law of God, the Word of God. Uh, we want uh, you're going to religious unity you know later isaiah eleven nine 9 will put it this way that the knowledge of the lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea now, you look at the all the oceans around the ocean around here and all that sand is covered it's just completely covered by a massive ocean the knowledge of the lord is going to cover continent to continent all around the world Jeremiah 34, 31, and, and showing the new covenant will teach it. it teaches that it, No man will have to say to his neighbor, know the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Well, why won't you have to say that then? All shall know me from the least to the greatest. Kingdom starts out with believers. And you have religious unity, but it's not a religious unity of tolerating different beliefs. It's a religious unity of all believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. The unity of the faith is called in Ephesians 4, 13. And they'll want to hear what the Lord says and they'll reverence the Lord. It's when all hearts are turned to the one true God that then you'll have religious unity, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Men are trying to get it today in their own wisdom and means but a toleration of everything, you know? And you can't judge anything. But it's his word and his person and someday there's religious unity coming. So I believe in religious unity but a unity in and to the person and the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And someday you'll have the whole world coming to him to hear it. You know, th- this is a window of the kingdom age, you know. Uh, further on this, the glory that should follow, look, look at verse 4, Isaiah 2 and verse 4. If you like to write a word over verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 2, you might want to write disarmament, disarmament. You know, all the peace groups today want us to disarm, you know. Let's just learn to get along, as if man doesn't have a sinful heart, you know. Let's just trust one another. Well, disarmament is going to be of God, but on His terms. Look at verse 4. There's going to be disarmament of the military. Verse 4. And He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. No more Marines, no more military, no more Navy, no more Army. Why don't you need them? Nobody's training to fight because nobody's fighting. <laughs> you know, you, maybe some of you know this. Back in the state I just moved from, New York, if you go to New York City, there's the United Nations there, okay? United Nations. And their philosophy, of course, is of man, by man, and for man, okay? And they believe, and maybe it's a sincere motive, that they can bring worldwide peace if we'll just respect all ideologies and all beliefs and just learn to respect it and everybody will get along. At least that's how they speak on paper there. And they have in a cement plaque facing in a little park dedicated to the United Nations. I've stood there and took a picture of it. I have it on my iPhone if you want to see it. They have it facing uh, the United Nations, part of Isaiah 2:4. The Bible's there. Can you believe that? Here's the part they have. Uh, It's from verse 4, and it says, They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Their great goal is disarmament. But what gives it away, the folly of such thing, is the part of the verse they leave out. And they leave out part A, it's not there. He shall judge among the nations and rebuke many people. In verse 3, he does it from Jerusalem, the city of God. They leave out the of the Lord Jesus that's coming back. They don't acknowledge him as a center of it all. And they leave out the he, and the whole thing will end in the destruction of this world and nations as we've heard. So they're headed for destruction a uh, uh, disarmament without righteousness, without he judging. But as f- much folly as that is, make sure we don't make the same mistake as they're making and think that we can have peace with God without the he. You know, we're under the wrath of God before you're saved. And as we've quoted before, the only way to have peace with God, in the language of Colossians 1.20, having made peace by the blood of his cross had to be a sacrifice. Sin had to be dealt with, and the sinless son of God dealt with it in his death. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. Yet there's many people in religions today. Uh, you're going to heaven? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I'm at peace with God. Do you trust the Lord Jesus? Well, no. Uh, they leave out Christ And there's no peace without him. Politically, this mistake is being made by the United Nations, spiritually being made by religions today. But even if we're saved as Christians, on a different level, is peace lacking in your life? I mean daily peace of a calm mind to cope with what is going on. If you're lacking it, it's because you're leaving on him. (laughs) And I'm leaving on him. You know Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and it adds, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Whatever level you take it at, if you leave out Christ and dependence upon him, and whatever level we're at, politically, spiritual salvation, or living in life, there'll be no peace. And so they won't have peace because they leave out the he. But someday, when he has given his place and his wisdom and his judgment of sin and the sinner is removed, you won't need the military. I believe in disarmament, but not yet. Not while Satan's loose. Okay? When he judges among the nations, everything man longs for is going to happen when he comes back, windows of the kingdom. Let's move on to see another one, famous one here in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. People speak about peace, as we've just alluded to, but the kind of peace he promises is lasting peace. It's a great thing of politicians, lasting peace, and it might last for a year. We thank God for any peace that lasts. Yeah. But here's true, the heart, people are out for peace. They hate killing. That's, that's an understandable thing. And they believe that by, of man, by man, and through man, somehow is gonna bring lasting peace on their wisdom and their terms. Not only is peace coming, lasting peace is coming. And that's in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. You look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, not the cross here, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now watch this in verse 7. Of the increase in his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth and even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There is lasting peace coming to the Mideast and to this world, but it will come through the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your hand here and go to Zechariah 14, please, right near the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14. We long for peace in this world. We long for lasting peace. But do we put our energy into the programs of man or wait on the Lord Jesus Christ and be occupied with the gospel and the church now? But anyway, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Or I'm sorry, verse 2. Zechariah 14, verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. He's going to bring Israel low. They're going to be on the eve of destruction. All nations against them. If the United States exists, we'll be against them. Christians found that hard to believe 10 years ago. They don't find it hard to believe anymore. Verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. When he gets them all in one place, using Jerusalem as the bait, and they're on the verge of finally destroying the city of God and proving the Bible wrong, then he goes forth. He comes back, verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And then the end of verse 5, the end of verse 5. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. That Lord my God is the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, he cometh with clouds, Revelation 1-7. He's the answer to this. And what will he bring in the Mideast? Well, look at verse 11. Verse 11. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. No more utter destruction. That's lasting peace when he deals with the sinner and establishes the righteous rule of God. So there's these agendas out here that the human heart longs for. I can understand their passion, but by faith I believe it can't be done by man. We can pray for a measure of peace, but it's coming when he comes back in glory. And we seek first the kingdom of God, shouldn't we, and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew six twenty three. 23. So, so another window of the a kingdom here, the kingdom age here. Well, having said that, let's go on to Isaiah 11. And there's more of this glory that shall follow. Not only the sufferings of Christ, but the glory that shall follow. Isaiah chapter 11, looking at verse 1, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. That's David's father. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Well, we talked about that, the seed of David, the the king there. Verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You just total up the descriptions of the spirit there and it comes to seven. The the, the Lord reigning in the full power of the Spirit of God. Look at verse 3. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. It's just not what he hears, what what it looks like. But verse 4. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. His administration is righteousness and faithful, uh, that doesn't break his promises. And, and notice there is social justice. Social justice at last comes to earth. Look at verse 4 again. With the righteousness shall he judge the poor. Righteousness is their justice. And reprove with equity. There's fairness for the meek of the earth. How does he do this? People want social justice. He's going to judge righteously. But to do that, look at the rest of verse five. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall he slay the wicked. We want right justice today, but we don't want to turn from sin. We want to enjoy our sin at the same time we have everything. We get what we deserve. You can't have it. if you get what you deserve It's judgment. You don't really want justice if you're in your sin. But we try justice at the same time, uh, saying we've we got to tolerate sin. It's only when sin is dealt with and he judges the wicked that you'll finally have justice, social justice on earth. And he's the only one that will bring it about. You've got a principle there, even in the church of God today. Hmm, do you know we've got to deal with sin first? The time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, Peter said. Paul deals with a believer continuing in a sin there in 1 Corinthians 5 uh, that brings shame on the name of Christ. It was a sexual sin. It's not the only type. And he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 13, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Huh? He said we want peace. We want power in our assembly. You've got to deal with sin first. He we said, well, love and grace. You, you tolerate sin, and you're not going to have social justice of any type. The Lord Jesus in his wisdom will bring equity and justice too, that what man longs for, but he does it by removing the unrepentant by removing the wicked, and so there 's social justice coming this is what I hope for. this is what we look for, and it will be accomplished only in our Lord Jesus Christ. right now we preach the gospel that men and women can come into this kingdom. And the church uh, can give him praise that the world doesn't now until he comes. But this is what is ahead of us. So there's social justice coming. Also here in Isaiah 11, look at verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid or the goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones, shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of an ass for a serpent. And the weaned child shall put his hand on a cockatrice's den. You talk about a child care program, huh? They're not going to be put to death by the animal creation because there's going to be a green ecology. The whole ecology environment of this world is going to change at the liberation of the children of God when Christ comes back. He's going to do something to this planet. Everything people long for, the beauty of animals and creation, uh, it's stained by sin and rebellion now. But the Lord Jesus, I mean, you have a whole change in ecology here. You have a green earth, if you will. The wolf shall lie down with a lamb. Can you imagine that? And the leopard with a goat. And a, a little cow and a young lion. And uh, uh, the fatling together, a little child shall eat him. You say, Johnny, what's your pet? He's a lion. <laughs> He's not eating anybody. You know, because he eats straw now, he's not carnivorous anymore, and everything they long for in the in the comfort of animals and a green ecology, he's going to bring in the kingdom. There's far more many verses on this in Isaiah. The desert shall blossom as a, ro- a rose, etc. Everything the human heart longs for, but it's in the Lord Jesus Christ, of Him, by Him, and through Him, and without Him, you can't have it. And so, these are windows of the kingdom. It's going to be a green ecology. Go to chapter 14 to see another window of the kingdom, Isaiah chapter 14, Uh, looking at verse 1, Isaiah 14 and verse 1, for the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land and the strangers shall be joined with them and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives, whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. Anti-Semitism, as we call it, will be gone. Israel, rather than persecuted, will have dominance over their oppressors. And they'll be the head and not the tail. They'll be the capital city. And it'll be popular to be a Jew then. Everybody will want a yellow star, so to speak. And uh, so anti-Semitism is gone. They're, they're captives now. They're going to be oppressors of their captors, or they're going to rule over their oppressors and so on. It'll be a whole change where the Jew will be popular because he'll be connected with the Lord Jesus. There's a little more on this if you go to Zechariah. We'll be back to Isaiah, uh, Lord willing. But go, go to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah again, and this time chapter 8. Another one of these windows here. And and look at verse 20, Zechariah 8 and verse 20. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities, And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. And we talked about that in Isaiah 2. they will say, I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to seek Jehovah. He's there. The Lord's there. So I want to go with you. (laughs) Well, look at verse 22. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to pray before the Lord. We want to meet him. We want to pray. We want to worship him. We want to learn of him. But if you know anything about power, you just can't walk right into White House. I don't want any funny comments. Okay, just can't walk right in. Okay, You've got to know somebody in power. You've got to have somebody to clear you. And the Jew, well, Jerusalem's the capital city. It's in Israel, the capital. So look what happens to the Jew here in verse 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass, that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of a him that is a Jew, saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. God's with you. I mean, you're pretty close to him there. They grant, will you be our tour guide to take us to the Lord because he's in your city? And the whole thing is turned around, this ugly anti-Semitism today. Of course, it's of Satan. The whole thing is turned around when the Lord Jesus comes back, and the Jew is given their rightful place. It's all solved by the Lord Jesus. So I can't get to it. I pray for the leaders as we've been doing. I can't get involved in their agendas, for I have a different one. There's a kingdom coming. There's a gospel that will put people in that kingdom, and there's a Lord who will bring it about. We want to seek that first. Well you go back here to another window of the kingdom to chapter 33. Chapter 33 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 33. Give you the context here if you look at verse 17. Isaiah 33 and verse 17. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty, they shall behold the land that is very far off. So the context is the king. Now, go down to verse 22. Interesting verse. Isaiah 33 and verse 22. For the Lord, Jehovah, is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. You're going to have perfect government People today overthrowing government, throwing their lives into a better government. They get what they call better government. The same crowd is doing something different two, three years later or doing the same thing, I just say. They're not satisfied with that one either. You know, overthrow of governments they're the answer, whether it's Egypt, Syria, the United States, it, it never satisfied. Man fails, even though God uses government for a measure of law and order. We understand that. But what the heart longs for is perfect government. That's when the Lord is here. You know, we speak of the three branches of government, the, the executive, huh? the legislative, we call it the Congress in our country, the Senate, the judicial, the Supreme Court. Huh? It's when the Lord is all three branches of government. The Lord is our judge. He's judicial. He, he decides what's right and wrong. He's our lawgiver. He just I should say he judges what is right and wrong as our lawgiver. He decides what is right and wrong. He's our king. He executes it. He will save us. Political salvation is also of the Lord. We long for that too. You know, that's all the farther I'm going to go with the windows of kingdom. There's more, but Isaiah is showing you the glory that should follow in the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back. You know, and, and to the church, you say, well, this doesn't concern me. Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace where we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? Paul wrote to the church in 2 Corinthians 6.2. Revelation 5.10, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we, that is the redeemed ones by blood, shall reign on the earth. We're not going to be in mortal bodies, that's true. But we're going to be reigning with the glorified Christ, ruling over the world in whatever details that turns out to be. <laughs> Someday you'll be involved in government. <laughs> but, but, but with the Lord Jesus... It involves us. We look for that day that he will be glorified. He'll get what he deserves. People will seek him. He's coming back to be glorified. Crown of thorns the first time. But to see our Lord get his worth from all nations, it's it's going to be an exciting day. And to be involved in that, we go to heaven, but then he brings us back in the kingdom of heaven to to rule on the earth. And, And there's more beyond that, as you know. And As I close, however, I know I'm speaking to believers here. But if you want to be in that kingdom, the Lord Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In our natural state, we'd ruin it. There has to be new life through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6:9, 9, what? know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. They're going to be banned from it. They'd ruin it as we heard. But those that are saved, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. May God encourage you in a world that's crumbling, in a world that's getting scarier every day, that our hope isn't in some new politics. We should pray, and and, and yes, righteousness exalts a nation, sin is reproached to any people, but our agenda should be the gospel to the world and the church unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that all these things are going to be solved, not by our works, but of God, through God, and for God, and someday he'll get the glory, and we'll be part of it by his grace. May God give you good understanding and direction in the glory that follows. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again we close this afternoon session in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of Calvary and the coming King of kings, the first coming to suffer. O oh, thy order that sin must be dealt with first, then to reign, Father, help us to see whether it 's our marriages, our life, the assembly, the coming world, that all things are of thee through thee and for thee, and to despise the Babylonian spirit and to understand that you get the glory in everything, and it 's your design and your means, it 's not of man, and you 're able. And we just ask encouragement on the dear saints here. Sometimes we get confused in what's happening, and that the Word will give us this hope of His blessed and glorious appearing. When He appears in glory, and we'll be there with Him by His grace. Those that are saved do inherit the kingdom of God. And so we thank Thee. Thank Thee for the Word. Thank Thee for the fellowship. Uh, thank Thee for all the good things thou hast given us. And now we part for a few minutes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, with thanksgiving. Amen.